cancelled on account of Dogman. Welcome to Scary Stories, the channel that tells you scary stories. Cancelled on account of Dogman. As told to Peter Bernard, read by P.Q. Rivett. Dear Scary Stories, thank you for using my story on your show. Or, if you didn't, why is P.Q. River reading this right now? I want to point out that I call this I Was a Teenage Dork. I'm sure you've changed it to something with Dogman in the title, but I want the listeners or readers to know that back in the early 80s when this took place, I was, in fact, an extremely pathetic teenage dork. But I was a dork that had a particularly terrifying encounter with what we call the Wolfman, but what people nowadays seem to be calling Dogman. Actually, the girl with me called it Cousin It, and she would doodle it on her school desk with sunglasses and a bowler hat prowling the woods. I guess before I explain the monster, I should explain the girl, because she was the only reason I ever saw the dog man. My high school had homerooms we needed to attend just for the town's attendance record-keeping purposes. We had to sit in assigned alphabetical seats. Just by chance of seating arrangements, I, king of all dorks, sat daily next to the school's queen rocker chick. She was like Riff Randall rock and roller, but replaced the satin with denim and leather. Homeroom was the only class she attended regularly, and it was just so she could officially be listed as present and accounted for and eventually graduate. For whatever reason, she took a liking to me and gave me lessons in how to be less of a dork. She had me grow my hair longer, she had me acquire different clothes, then she changed how I wore the aforementioned clothes. Eventually, as the weather got warmer and our senior year drew to a close, she felt she was finished creating her new Frankenstein monster and that I was now cool enough to hang with her. Bear in mind that she was a precocious 19 and I was a late-blooming 16. Even if she weren't the most in-demand girl in the school, there was no way I would have had the self-esteem to consider myself worthy of hanging with her, but I was flattered that she would express the notion. I was also very relieved that the chances of us ever actually socializing outside of homeroom were virtually zero, since I was nervous even at the thought of it. My father had raised me to always remember that it would be rude of me to be successful in any way because it would only make him feel worse about his own utter failure in life. This poor girl, she was wasting her respect on me when I knew for a fact I was unworthy of her attention. There was only one guy in the school dorkier than I was, and he was a teacher, but he was not a likable, empathetic, well-meaning dork like me. He was an evil dork a mean dork, a vicious dork, and a hateful dork. When John Lennon of the Beatles was assassinated, this evil dork said to his class, One down, three to go. They say everyone has something positive about him, but this guy was the exception to the rule. 
and he was in charge of the lunch period I had to attend. The way it would go every day was like this. You'd either get online for your food or find a seat if you brought your own. There was general milling about, then Dorcas Majoris, the evil teacher, would walk up to the microphone in the front of the room with his stupid whistle. He would stand there looking around for a while. Sometimes he'd look around for a few seconds. Other times he'd stand there for five minutes. He varied the time in order to surprise as many kids as he could when he suddenly blew the whistle into the microphone, piercing everyone's eardrums all at once. The sound wouldn't have finished reverberating yet when this sadist would start pointing out students who hadn't immediately frozen to attention when the whistle was blown. Anyone he pointed and screamed at would then be made to stand back to the wall, but not leaning on the wall. That would cost you worse punishment through the entire period and only have five minutes at the end to eat your lunch. It wasn't even just that but he would scream at you, red-faced, about how you lacked character and how you deserved worse than what he could give you. Like I said, he had no redeeming qualities whatsoever and reminded me of my dad. So one warm, beautiful day, I was sitting with my other dork friends in the lunchroom, listening to Dorcas Majoris screaming abuse at minors in the name of education, when suddenly the rocker chick, let's call her Riff for the purposes of this story, comes running through the lunchroom up to the idiot teacher and starts tickling him. I thought, oh my God, she's going to get a year of detention and never graduate. Instead, to the surprise of every kid in that room, the idiot teacher blushed, and then I swear he giggled. She tickled him again, then playfully squealed, Can't catch me, bet you can't catch me, running away at top speed in her Converse All-Star sneakers. Amazingly, the moron teacher, guffawing like a 1980s version of Beavis and Butthead, started chasing this 19-year-old girl around the lunchroom. Everyone was laughing hysterically as this guy, who had caused us such torment, made an utter fool of himself over our friend Riff. And trust me, at that moment, everyone in the room considered Riff their good friend. She was finally getting back at this creep and turning him into a laughing stock in front of the entire school. Around and around the room they went. People were standing on the tables, cheering and screaming. I lost sight of where Riff went and apparently so did Dorcas Majoris, because the next thing I knew, she was tapping me on the shoulder and dragging me out an exit of the school I never even knew existed. Outside, her Bratmobile awaited us, which was an old 70s convertible of one sort or another. I tell you the make and model, except there was a dork back then and had no idea what the difference was between different kinds of cars. But the top was down. I remember that part. She got in and motioned for me to follow. But it's illegal for us to leave school grounds during the day, I whined. She was laughing before I could finish my statement and rev the engine. Five, she said, looking at me with a smirk. Five, I asked. Four, she continued. Then three. I got the idea and quickly jumped in the passenger seat, ready to play hooky for the first time in my dorky life with this real-life magic pixie dream girl. 
I had a lot of trepidation and outright fear in my heart as we took off screeching into the afternoon. I wondered if we would get arrested. I wondered if I would get hit by my father. I wondered if my mother would give me the crying routine about how I had let her down. One thing I certainly did not wonder is if I would end up face to face with a half-man, half-dog creature almost twice my size, and yet that is what actually ended up happening. Riff handled the car like she'd been driving her entire life, and for all I knew, maybe she had. I saw cops up ahead and cringed, sinking down in my seat. I whispered loudly, Look out, cops, cops! Riff laughed at me again. As we passed the cops, she waved at them. Yes, she waved at the cops as we sped by, illegally off school grounds. Then she called out to them, Toodaloo! in a high-pitched, sarcastically sweet manner. And the cops smiled and waved back. One of them called out, Hi, Riff. I realized she had every guy in that area of the country in her back pocket. I wondered why, if she could be hanging with any kid or man, she was hanging with me. Doesn't it hurt your back? she asked. Doesn't what hurt my back? I asked back. Sitting scrunched down in your seat, she answered. Are you embarrassed to be seen with me? Sitting up as tall as I could, I saw that we were driving north to Westchester and asked her where she was taking me. To my weekly Satanist cabal, she answered plainly. You're going to be our human sacrifice, if that's all right with you. I remember sitting through a red light staring at her. Yes, she actually stopped for red lights, the same as mortals. I was wondering how to ask if she was joking about sacrificing me to Satan. I mean, it made more sense than her actually wanting to hang out with me. And yet, I was really hoping that was just a joke, for all the obvious reasons. I was joking, she said finally. So she could read minds, too. I found her more awesome and frightening than ever before, and that's saying something. She described where she was taking me, which she called a secret party. From the description she proceeded to give, it sounded sort of like what might now be called a rave, but in a low-tech 1981 sort of a way. Apparently, the party had been going on since the night before, and she wanted to bring me out to meet some musicians who played in bands she knew I liked. I can't believe you're having multi-day parties with famous punk rockers, I shouted, realizing it was a lie. On second thought, of course you're having multi-day parties with punk rockers. Turns out that the party was off a highway, up a dirt road, and past a dirt patch where she parked the car. She took me by the hand, and we walked to the party, which was about 35 or 40 people in a clearing, blasting a cassette tape recording of Timmy Somer's Noise the Show out of a boombox. Some people were standing around, others were passed out on blankets, and a few couples seemed to be necking, a shocking sight to my virgin eyes. Riff brought me over to a person who is still too famous even in 2017 for me to mention his name. She introduced us, then whispered in my ear she was going to 
mingle-mangle, and suddenly I was alone with one of my musical idols. He was flattered that I knew which songs on his records he wrote, so he introduced me to other cool people, and I was soon having a great time. After an hour or two, Riff came back to hang with me, and we talked and laughed. I'd never felt so happy in my life. I was actually beginning to feel like I belonged with these kinds of people, in spite of all my father's insistence to the contrary. She took my hand again and walked me along a little footpath that led us both into the forest. I wondered why she was holding my hand and if there was something I was supposed to do in return. I found out that I wasn't the only one wondering this as shouts came from behind us, followed by four tall, mean-looking, heavy metal dudes. I recognized these guys. My friends and I called them the Bies. That's because the only time we saw them, they were working on their cars saying to each other, Hey, pass me another Bia. We regarded them as human jokes, but we'd never gotten them angry at us before. What do you think you're doing holding Riff's hand, you little twerp? asked their apparent leader. Calm down, Jacko, warned Riff. I'm not your girlfriend, and I never was. Oh, yeah, shouted the very tall, very wide, and very hairy Jacko, with a look on his face like he was trying to think of something to say next. He stood there for a while with that expression, unable to generate a follow-up. Then one of the other Bies whispered something in his ear, and Jacko regained his sense of purpose. I asked you why you're holding my girl's hand, you little creep, he spat out at me. She grabbed it first. It was her idea, I whined. Now even Riff looked at me disgustedly. She took her hand back, and the rain of eggs started. Apparently, the fellows had somehow acquired a dozen or more white chicken eggs from some source unbeknownst to me, and now they were using their manual dexterity to hurl them in my direction. Eggs were on my clothes, in my hair, and on my face both figuratively and literally. I even caught one in my left hand almost by accident. Riff moved between me and my attackers to stop them momentarily, and I took that moment to escape, running further into the forest, terrified. I was running, looking over my shoulder, and idiotically ran straight into a branch, falling forward and hitting the ground hard, knocking all the wind out of me. That's when I saw it. The dog man. <laughs> came out of the bushes with a roar. Maybe it was sleeping or something, but I surprised it, and boy, was it angry. It towered over me and filled my blurry vision. I tried to scream, but like I said, all the wind had been knocked out of me. I tried to breathe in, and even that was difficult and painful. The creature loomed over me and roared again. This time, leaning forward in my face to make its point more clearly. 
I could feel its hot breath burn into my skin like a wet heat lamp. I could smell a million years of death and rot in its scream. Then it stopped. It looked confused. It started sniffing the air, then sniffing me. Then it licked me. Or, I should say, it licked the egg on me, and licked, and licked. This was a dog man who liked eggs. I figured when it got tired of licking, it might take a bite. That would not be a good thing, at least not for me. Then I remembered the egg I had caught and showed it to him, offering it to him. This is when I noticed that the creature had hands. Well, clawed hands, not human hands, but not dog's paws either. Its hands had thumbs so it could hold things. It grabbed the egg out of my hand and smelt it for a while. I took this opportunity to stand up and back away slowly from the monster. I never took my eye off as it cracked the egg open and slurped up the contents. Back I went, one step at a time, then BAM! I had walked backward into someone. Probably one of the idiots who pelted me with eggs looking to come back and finish the job. Suddenly those bullies seemed a lot less intimidating than they had before, and I turned around furiously and ready to defend myself against... against Riff? It was Riff, standing there, looking past me in shock. I didn't have to guess what she was staring at. I spoke to her, but got no response. She was so surprised at what she was seeing. In fact, I think that's the only time I ever saw her as the surprisee instead of the surprise-er. I really wanted to get out of there, and I tried pulling her along with me, but she wouldn't budge. I wasn't going to leave without her, so I joined her in just staring at the monster. It wasn't the kind of creature I see in your other videos. It didn't look sleek at all. It looked shaggy. In fact, I once made a joke with Riff about the shaggy D.A., but she'd never heard of the movie, and I didn't want to seem like a dork who watched Disney films to her, so I just dropped it. But it was a shaggy-looking creature that seemed like a dog in all ways except that it stood on its hind legs and its front paws seemed like hands. It was also a lighter color than most of the dogmen I see depicted on the internet. It was a light-colored, shaggy, upright, walking, dog-like creature with floppy dog ears. It was not wolf-like in any way, but it did sort of resemble the Lon Chaney wolfman from the old black-and-white movies, if he had grown his hair long and become a rocker. The hairy forest monster finished with its egg and dropped it, watching us and panting with its tongue hanging out. Quietly, Riff said, Don't move. I didn't. The creature eyed us a while longer, then dropped to all fours and howled. My heart was beating so hard I thought it would explode. I wanted to run so badly, but I held my ground there next to Riff. We both watched as the creature ran off into the woods on all fours, gone from sight in three leaps.
we got back to the party and related what had happened to the group of the others. Riff had made one of the Bias give her his t-shirt for me to replace my egg-drenched one with, and she gave it to me to wear. Foreigner, I asked. You want me to wear a foreigner t-shirt? Well, the guy with the ACDC t-shirt has bad body odor, she explained. My choices are limited, so you're not allowed to complain. I wore it inside out. It was way too large on me. I knew I looked dumb, but not as dumb as the Bia who Riff forced to wear my egg-drenched Ramones t-shirt. It covered his chest, but his impressive gut remained entirely exposed to the air. Everyone packed up quickly, and that next night of the party was canceled on account of Dogman. Riff and I went back to being homeroom friends, which was fine with me. I don't think my heart could have stood anything more than that. I was just not as cool as her, at least not at that age. We never saw that half-dog, half-man thing again, but we talked about him a lot, and we both used to draw him in homeroom. We drew him in our notebooks and carved images of him onto our desks as well. Mine were always scary, but hers were always cute. One time she drew him playing electric guitar with his axe hanging low. I wonder how such a creature could have ever come into existence. It looked like a household pet mutated into a monster. Could something like that have evolved naturally on its own? Or might it be the result of some sort of bioengineering or selective breeding program? It was definitely not a Bigfoot because it had dog ears and a dog-like snout and nose. Plus, I don't know if Bigfoot is as shaggy as this thing was. All I know is, if you ever party or camp up in the woods in Westchester, be safe. Remember to bring a lot of eggs with you. Check out the audio podcast version of Scary Stories NYC, now available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and other popular podcatchers. Bigfoot Attacked My Tiny House. Scary Stories by Peter Bernard, Volume 1, now available on Amazon in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook versions. Narrated by P.Q. Ribber and me, Madeline Starr. Forward by TV's famous Timothy Green Beckley, better known as Mr. UFO. And if there's anyone out there who can't get enough of PQ River, search in your favorite search engine for PQ River, and you'll find plenty of podcasts, music, and weirdness. Come back, come back, come back, come back for more scary stories.